Good morning. Well, we live in a land of rugged individualism. In our country, independence and rebellion are virtues. They are not seen as a vice. As red-blooded Americans, we don't like authority. We like to be the ones who make up our own mind and do our own thing, and no one is allowed to tell us what to do. Now, I would say that's not just a problem with our country. I would say that's a problem with with mankind. It's just America really excels at this. So we believe that we are the masters of our own destiny. We believe that if we work hard and do the right thing, that we can be whoever we want to be and do whatever we want to do. You have been taught from grade school that you are a beautiful, unique individual, and you can be whatever you want to be. And who decides what is right and wrong along your pathway? Well, you do because you're the individual. This is what... We are taught this individualistic worldview is pervasive in our culture and in our world. It is seen in film, in music, in art, in politics. And the terrifying thing is that this idea is even lurking in our own hearts. Now, this problematic worldview, I believe, is one of the greatest challenges facing the church today. This type of thinking, uh, as it gets deep down into our soul, just presses directly against the idea that we are to be a sacrificial community of people under the authority of the Bible and under the authority of church leadership. That, that idea of individualism says, no, I'm, I am not a sacrificial member of a community. I am an individual. I am under the authority of myself, not under the authority of God's word or church leadership. That's not the only problem facing the church today. We must add to that an ever-increasing use of technology that makes us feel ever-connected when we're not really connected at all. So we are told, uh, be independent. You don't need anybody else. Be self-sufficient. Pull your own self up by your bootstraps. Yet inside, we know that, that there is a longing to connect to other people. We, we know inside that, that there's this feeling of, of, of man, I need to be around other people. I need to talk to someone. That, that, that's why in the garden, when, when God placed Adam there, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And from that first man all the way until today, every human everywhere feels that need to be connected to other people. That, that, that desire has been placed inside of us by God. The sad thing is we, we live in a land where people have a thousand friends on Facebook and no friends in real life. So, so that desire is, is being walked out and met through uh, tweets and texting and not real face-to-face interaction. And so when you combine a sense of individualism with, with an overuse of technology to where we, we do feel this need to be connected, yet uh, we're going to this horrible, cheap substitute called social media, I, I think those are great challenges facing, facing the church. So 
my generation uh, and the one that is coming up behind me has said clearly, plainly, loudly, we don't need the church. So no matter what poll you look at, no matter what statistic you look at, the church in America is in massive and sharp decline. The evangelical church is declining in attendance and baptisms and recorded salvations. What, what we find in, in our landscape today is an idea from people uh, that, that either just totally hate the church that they see it as full of uh, closed-minded bigots who, who hate equality. Uh, they, they've been hurt by the church. Their, their life ha, has been uh, shattered by a pastor or, or by someone else in the church, and so they just hate it altogether. Uh, other people take the idea of, we'll just be indifferent to the church. I mean, it, it's kind of take it or leave it, you know? If you go to church and it helps you feel better about yourself, then great. So, so some people just outright hate the church. Some, some people just take an indifferent view to it that, hey, I mean, if it helps you, then you should go and that's great. There, there's a third position that some people take, which is uh, we go to church, but let's not get too crazy. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll be there on Sunday, but, I, you know, if it's rainy, ah, we might skip. You know, we, uh, if, if there's a softball game or... Uh, you know, if, if this is going on or that, you know, we, we, we stayed up a little too late last night, so we'll just sleep in on this one. Oh, and also we take the summers off because we vacation and we're doing this and this. And so, so, I mean, we go to church, but, you know, we're not trying to get too crazy about it. So this is the sad state of affairs that we find ourselves in in this country in regards to the church. But let me say this, I am not worried the least bit about the church. I'm not worried one bit. When, when, when I look at the polls, when I look at statistics, I am not worried for a moment. Here is why. Jesus said, I will build my church. He, he said, uh, I'm going to build my church. You know what? The gates of hell themselves will not be able to overcome my church. This institution that I'm going to build, I'm going to put together. I'm going to bring people into it. I'm going to raise up leadership in churches. I'm going to fund those churches. I'm going to see my great gospel message go where I want it to go. And, and there's no stopping it. It's impossible. I mean, just, just look at history. Look at history. I mean, how, how many governments, how many massive regimes have, have tried to halt Christianity, have tried to stop the church from the Roman Empire to the Nazi Empire? I mean, you, you can look in time and time again, all throughout history, massive governments and massive waves of people have tried to stop the expanse of the church, and it has been impossible. So I'm not worried about the church. History has shown time and time again all throughout history that the more persecuted the church becomes, the more vibrant and alive it is. So in 1 Peter 2.9, we hear this beautiful description of what the church is. And so um, despite what you've heard, despite what culture says, God's word says that the church is this, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the church. That's us. 
We are the chosen race, the royal priesthood. We are the people of God's possession. This is what God has been doing from the very beginning as he, as he created the universe, as he created the world, and he put Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and they sinned and fell away, and he went to Abraham, and he said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make you a, a nation, a mighty nation, because from the very beginning, God has been about a people of his own possession, and he set out to love and care for the people of Israel. And, and, and as the New Testament age began, and um, the, the gates opened wide and, and Gentile and Jew alike came into this one race, this one family of God, because God is about a people of his own possession. He is about building and establishing his church filled with his people, showing his grace and mercy and love to each other and to a falling and dying world. That's the church. That's the church. So, when I say church, here's what I mean. When I say church, I mean a local group of people gathering regularly. When I say church, I mean a local group of people gathering regularly for worship, preaching, and to observe the sacraments, that is baptism and communion. When I say the church, I mean a local group of people gathering regularly for worship, preaching, and the sacraments, organized under qualified leadership, fulfilling the great commission and the great commandment. That's the church, okay? I'm not talking about two guys hanging out in a bar, right? They, they might pray together, say, you know, hey, we said the name Jesus, where two or more are gathered, here's the church. No, no, I, I am talking about a local group of people gathering regularly on Sunday morning for worship, for preaching, and to observe the sacraments, who organize under qualified leadership as specified in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, who fulfill the great commission and the great commandment, the great commission to go and make disciples, the great commandment to love one another. Okay? That, that's, that's the church. That, that's what I'm talking about today. So, this week in this text, what I saw was a beautiful picture of the church. It, it grabbed my heart and, and pulled it out of my chest. I, I, I saw a, a gorgeous picture of these believers together in Thessalonica walking out what it means to be a church. And so my goal today is, is this. This week, I want you to be able to say, I love the church. Not only say, I love the church, I love my church. I love this church. Look, I know I'm the pastor here, uh, but I'm just gonna say right up front, I'm doing some bragging on Gospel Community Church today. Is that okay? Can I do that? I need some help, y'all. I'm gonna need some amens. I'm gonna need some come on. Say that again. Because I believe God is at work here. I believe God's doing something amazing in your life through this church. And so I want you to leave today saying, man, I love the church. I, I, I love the church, the church universal. That is every church everywhere that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are for them, okay? Listen, I don't care what denomination it is. I don't care, it, I mean, they're speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues. They, they stand up, what, raise their hands, hands in the pockets, looking down. I don't care. Whatever it is they do, that's fine. If they are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am for them. This church is for them. I want us to leave the day saying, we love the church. And more specifically, we love gospel community church because God is doing an amazing work here. So that's the goal today. It's a, it's a lofty goal. 
but, but I hope through the power of the Holy Spirit we might reach it together. So here's the end, okay? I, I want you to say, I love the church and specifically I love gospel community church because I believe if you love it, you'll give your life to it, okay? You see the connection there? The, the things that we love, we give our life to. So, so I want you to say, I love the church, specifically, I love gospel community church. And I want you to say that because I, I want you to give your life to it. Here's the next piece. Why do I want you to give your life to it? Well, it's because that's exactly what Jesus did. And I want you to be more like him. We, we know this text, Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives. Listen, we know that part. Listen to this part. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ, what? Loved the church and gave himself for her. So, so Jesus on the cross, as, as he is marching down that road with the Roman crossbar on his back, bleeding profusely, each breath and each step he is thinking about his beautiful bride, the church as they drive the nails into his hands and into his feet, and as they raised him up high, he was thinking, I'm doing this for my church. He gave his life for it. He gave his life for it. And so by modeling him and being like Christ, seeking to be more like him, what does that specifically mean for us? I'm, I'm calling you to a high calling today. This is, this is not easy what we're talking about doing. I'm calling you to a high calling. I'm calling you to give your whole life away to Jesus Christ by giving your whole life away to the local church, by serving it, by loving it, by giving to it, by being involved in the lives of people. That's a high calling. It's a very difficult thing to do, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. Yeah. So that's the sermon. I'm done, Okay. <laughs> Uh, so so what, I, what I have to do now is, is take us to the text and, and walk us through it and show you this beautiful picture uh, of this church and, and how they lived together and how they functioned and, and what they were doing. And, and, and I think if you can get a glimpse of what I saw this week, you will um, fall more and more in love uh, with the church. Now, uh, to quickly review, um, I won't take too much time on the review, but since we have just begun this book, uh, I, I do think we should uh, take a look at it. Uh, so Paul and his team uh, have, have traveled from Jerusalem. They have entered all, all the way into modern-day Europe. Okay? They, they land in Philippi, uh, they plant a church, and they start a riot, okay? They, they uh, get beaten, thrown in jail. They leave there. They go to this place, Thessalonica. Uh, they preach the gospel, plant a church, and you guessed it, start a riot. So as they leave there, Paul um, is so anxious about what's going to happen to those believers because he loves them so much. He actually sends one of, one of his uh, missionary team partners back to the town of Thessalonica to check on them to, to see how they're doing. And so then Timothy comes back and gives Paul this report, and, and the report is they're loving Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're, 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 they're hanging in there. That church is thriving, Paul. And so he's so overwhelmed that, that he writes them this great letter, okay? So let's take a look at verse 
13 in our text today. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I encourage you to get this text in front of you on your smartphone, or if you're old school like me, you, you have a Bible, okay? No judgment, I was just saying. Now, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What Paul is saying is when we got there, like we rolled into town and, and, and we started preaching this message. What message? The gospel message. What's the gospel? Glad you asked. They started preaching that Jesus Christ had come, that the God-man had entered and stepped into human history, that Jesus Christ had lived a perfect life, meaning he obeyed fully God's commands. He had done everything that was required. Not only that had he lived a perfect life, but then Jesus goes on to die the death that we should have died, meaning you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we deserve punishment, but instead, for those who have faith on Christ, our punishment was placed on him. And then Paul called them to faith and repentance. And, and he said, this is God's word. And, and, and then he began to uh, expound that. And they took what the apostle Paul was saying, not as words of men, as, as if the apostle Paul uh, were, were just a regular guy, but they took what he was saying as God's very word. Yeah. They, they said that, that dude is speaking for God. That, that's, what, that's what happened there in that church. What, what, what does this mean? It means this, God has chosen to make himself known in a very clear way. We can not only know that God exists, but we can know what God is like. A, a person can look out in the world and see mountains and clouds and trees and streams and see how all of it works together and say within their heart, there must be a creator who designed this planet and this solar system and the, the whole universe to function in such a way. It's, it's so clear and apparent. But God in his grace has, has gone beyond that, though he didn't have to. God in his grace has gone beyond that and revealed himself to us in a very clear way. So we can not only know who God is, that, that, that he exists, but we can know what he's like. So he has spoken to us through his word. That, that's what it means. It means that through these feeble men, this was his plan. These men were speaking for God. They were messengers of God. They were heralds of God. They spoke what God had to say. In the New Testament, this was a group of men known as the apostles, okay? Capital A, apostles. Here's what that means. It means that Jesus, as, as he was leaving this earth, he had a message to get out, and he hand-selected these men known as the apostles, okay? So you had to have seen the resurrected Christ, and you had to be hand-selected by Jesus to be the herald of his message, he chose these feeble men to be the ones who would speak the very word of God and to write down the very word of God. And that is how we have our New Testament. Our New Testament is given to us, either written specifically by apostles themselves or under apostolic authority. You guys still with me? Okay. So we have in our hands, in this book, the very words of God. And so these people in that town said, yep, that's God's word. That's, that's God's word. 
So how can these fallible men write an infallible book? That should be the question we ask next. If, if God trusted these fallible men, they were not perfect. Jesus was the only perfect one. How could these men speak the very words of God without error? Meaning, how can you and I now go to our New Testament and say, we trust this as God's very word? Well, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How could these fallible men write an infallible book? Well, the Holy Spirit was working in them and through them to make sure that they wrote exactly God's word. God used their background. He used their writing style. He used history. He used all of that and, and weaved it all together in this beautiful collection of scriptures that we have today that, that, that is our authority, that, that, cher that, that we cherish, that nourishes us. And he used all of that through fallible men to write an infallible book, which we can trust. So these people received God's word. It is God's word. The New Testament is God's word. Here's what that means. Um, you, you don't get to pick and choose here. Okay, so, so we, we can't flip over to, uh, you know, the Gospels and, and go, oh, Jesus said this, and, and I really like that. that. That's really important to me. I really like that. Uh, but, you know, let's go over here to what Paul says about uh, this or that. I really don't like that when Paul says that. You know, it kind of sounds crazy, and, and so we're just going to, you know, where's the scissors? And no, th this is God's very word. Uh, it means that we don't get to pick and choose. It means that we accept all of it as God's very word. So if you're taking notes, number one, a church you can love and give your life to receives God's word. A, a church that you can love, a, a church that's worth giving your life to is a church that receives God's word. And, and that's what this church had done. They, they had not just received it in the sense that they heard it, right? It came into their ear and they agreed with it. Although that's true. But this church received it in that it was their ultimate authority. They did not try to stand beside the scriptures. They did not try to stand on top of the scriptures. They took the scriptures and put them over themselves as their highest authority. Meaning uh, their feelings were not their highest authority. Listen, sometimes I don't feel like obeying God. I know I'm the only one. But sometimes I don't feel like it because obeying God is sometimes difficult. And sometimes I don't feel like it, but I say, you know what? This is God's word. It's my highest authority. It's more important than my feelings. It takes priority over what I'm feeling like doing today. So I'm going to obey God. Yeah. It also takes priority over our intellect. Now, that does not mean that the Bible is unreasonable or following God, believing in God, obeying in God is empty-headed or irrational. It is incredibly rational, but it means that my intellect is fallible. I am not as smart as I think I am. Again, I know I'm the only one in the room. I am not as smart as I think I am. So when I look at God's plan and I reason that maybe it's not the best plan, I take my reason and I put it up underneath the Bible, not next to the Bible or over the Bible. I put it underneath the Bible and say, no, the Bible is ultimately my authority, not my feelings, not my reason, not my intellect. That church did that. Not only was it their authority, but listen, 
It was their sustenance. Jesus, as he was being tempted by the devil, said, man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by the very word of God. It was, they received it as their authority, but, but it wasn't just informing them what to do. It was giving them life. That's, that's what it means when they received it. They received God's word. Now, you wanna know why I love this church. I love this church because you guys get excited as we go through books of the Bible. I love this church because it loves God's word. You, you guys get excited. Be like, I am so excited. I love the book of Daniel. That was a great book when we teach through that. What, what book are we gonna do next? So many of you guys ask me that question. What book are we gonna preach through next? You guys got excited about, pre like you guys get excited about hour long exegetical teaching. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> but it makes, me, it makes me love this church because you guys love God's word. It makes me love this church because it's, it, when we stand for the reading of the word, it's special to you. It means something. We are, we are showing our reverence for God's word as we stand. And as those words are read, we're standing together as a family of God, reading God's word. And that means something to us. That's, in, that's important to us. And I love this church because you guys have received God's word. You guys get excited about going to community group because you know you're going to read God's word and talk about it. Man, uh, Phil was sharing this morning in, in our pre-service meeting that uh, on, the, on the community group off week, okay, so mean, meaning the week you don't have to get together, they got together and sang songs to Jesus and read his word. What? I mean, don't you guys have anything better to do? They would answer, no, we don't. We love God's word. We have received God's word as our authority, as our sustenance. We, we get together as a family, as a people to read God's word. So, so as I preach, I mean, I just read God's word. I'm going to read the, we already read it. So why am I reading it again? Because well, I like reading God's word and you guys love it. And that's why I love this church. So, I love this church because it loves God's word. The people in this church embrace it and receive the word of God. We are not a perfect church by any means. The very fact that we have received God's word is a grace of God, but I love this church. Now, look at the rest of 13. I'm still on one verse, y'all. What time, what time I got? Oh, boy. Okay, okay, all right, I gotta, I gotta hustle up. Now, here we go. But, as what it really is, I mean, I'm in the, the bottom part of 13. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. So they received it as their authority, as their sustenance, and then that word worked in them. It, it produced something, it, it did something in their heart and in their life that these people went from uh, polytheistic pagans to monotheistic Christians. That, that gap is huge, 
right? They, they believed in, in, in Zeus and, 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 and all the, the pantheon of, of Greek gods. Um, they, they, they did pagan festivals and sacrifices to pagan. I mean, it was, it was ingrained in every part of their culture to be a polytheistic pagan. That was their life. But as the word of God worked in them, they went to monotheistic, right? So, so we don't believe in Poseidon and Zeus and we believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the monotheistic Trinitarian Godhead of the Bible. That's the God we believe in and we are rejecting pagan practices and adopting specifically Christian ones, meaning we are trying to rid our lives of sin and be more like Jesus as we live life together. That, I mean, that's radical what God's word had done in their life. So number two, if you're taking notes, a church you can love and give your life to experiences life change. These, these Thessalonians had their lives changed forever. They would never be the same, ever. And so a church that you can love, a church you can give your life to is one that experiences real life change. Here's what's happened and is still going on at Gospel Community Church. There are several men and women who attend this church who by the power of Jesus Christ through his word are walking in victory over addictions. That's happening right here. People who were addicted to alcohol, people who were addicted to drugs, people who were addicted to pornography are walking in freedom and in victory over those addictions. That's happening right here, right now. That's God at work among us. We have people who were on the verge of divorce and by the power of Jesus Christ through his word are together and thriving. That's happening here at this church. That's, that's real life, real life change. Marriages are being saved by the power of God through this church. I, I, I want you to... I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the implications in the lives of these children. Yeah. Their, their lives are forever changed now because their parents have said, we're gonna love each other and we're gonna love Jesus and we're gonna stay together. We're not just gonna stay together, but we're gonna figure out how to, how to have a thriving marriage that is centered on Jesus. It's about loving people and loving each other. And now those children are gonna be raised in a home where mommy loves Jesus and daddy loves Jesus and, and they're chasing after him and they're serving his church. Do you realize how that radically changes the lives of the children in those families? From walking and living in a broken home. I mean, how many of us in the room identify with that? We, we know the pains of being raised in a broken home and, and, and these children will, will now live in homes with moms and dads who love Jesus and have made a commitment to stay together and to thrive together. So, so a church worth loving and giving your life to? Yeah, it's, it's, it's where that's happening. There are men and women at this church who have experienced sexual abuse and are getting the help they need to experience healing. That's happening here. God is doing that work. This is worth giving your life to. I love that God in his great mercy has chosen to do such miracles among us. And yes, I mean miracles. When a man 
or a woman lays down an addiction and chooses to follow Jesus, friends, that's a miracle. When a a husband and wife say, hey, we know the whole world right now is giving up on marriage and, and, and the commitment that we made before God doesn't mean much to a lot of people, but we are rejecting that viewpoint and we are gonna get counseling, we're gonna get help and we're gonna stay together. When that happens, friends, that is a miracle. And when people who have been sexually abused have the boldness and the courage to step up and say, hey, this happened to me and I need help and they start getting help and healing, friends, that is a miracle. And that's happening here. That's why I love this church. And that's why, by God's grace, I hope to give my whole life to it. Okay, uh, let's try to get away from verse one, okay? 14. Let's read some more. Uh, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered uh, the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last, okay? Um, Now, when I read a section like that, I assume you have some questions as I did, okay? So uh, look back at the language that is used here about uh, the Jewish people. Uh, Paul says they killed Jesus and the prophets. These Jewish people drove us out. They displeased God and all of mankind. They hindered us. Uh, Wrath is coming upon them. Um, That's what he just said about the Jewish people. Now, uh, if you, you don't have to be a wordsmith to get what's happening here. Uh, this sounds very negative. It sounds like uh, Paul is very grumpy towards the Jewish people. Uh, as some have read this text, some commentators have even gone as far as to say that Paul is anti-Semitic and possibly racist. I mean, look back at it. For you brothers became imitators, right? You suffered the same things from our own countrymen as did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. Wrath is coming upon them. So the question is, is Paul a racist? The answer, church, Romans 9, 1 through 4. Listen to Paul's heart for the Jewish people. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Listen to how strong his language is here. Listen to his heart for the Jewish people here. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Paul is by no means, by no way, anti-Semitic or racist in any way. He himself is a Jew and worships a Jewish Messiah. Not to mention in Ephesians 2.14, not to belabor the point, 
Ephesians 2.14, Paul says this, for he himself, that's Jesus, for he himself is our, our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He, he came, Jesus came to tear down racial barriers. That, that's what Jesus came to do. Paul believed that on the cross, Jesus came to crush the barriers that divide people. He, he came to tear down the walls of race by uniting a people not in their skin color, but by uniting a people in himself. That's, that's the banner that is waving over the church, even though for some reason the South just can't seem to get it. The banner that is waving over the church is Jesus Christ. That's the banner over the church, not white church, black church, Pentecostal church, Hispanic church, this church, that church. The banner that's over the church is Jesus Christ. So Paul in no way, in no means uh, is a racist. He, he is not attacking them as, as a race. Here is, is what he is saying. Now, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to say that so, so that we're clear on what the text says. That's what it doesn't say. What does it say? Here is what it says. Now, the intent here uh, is to say and show what type of persecution was coming on the church in Judea. Okay, so, for you brothers became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So you church in Thessalonica, you started to act like and look like the church in Judea. Now, why is that significant? Well, it was significant because then he goes on in those verses to show how persecuted the church in Judea was. That's what he's getting after. He's not attacking them uh, as a race. He's saying these Jewish leaders, these Jewish people were severely attacking that church in Judea. And you guys um, are, are walking out how to suffer. The church in Judea was suffering. You guys are suffering. You have become imitators of, of these guys who, who have suffered, okay? So they suffered financially. They suffered socially. They, they suffered physically. This is what was the cost for them loving Jesus and following Jesus. So number three, if you're taking notes, a church you can love and give your life to suffers together. They suffered together. You, you remember they, they, in Thessalonica, uh, this dude named Jason, he, he had started uh, letting the, the apostles kind of use his house to, to start the church plant. And, and the religious leaders got all mad because everybody was going over there and not coming to their church services anymore. So they gather this big mob. They're, they're looking and they're searching, trying to find Paul and the missionary team. They can't, but they do find Jason. They, they drag him out in front of the courts and the magistrates. They extort money from him. I mean, they were attacked financially, this, this young church. They, they, they were attacked socially. I mean, you know, people had to make fun of them because they're like, hey man, we're going to this festival. We're going to this pagan thing. Are you coming? And they're like, no. I mean, they, 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 they suffered uh, most likely even in their families as, as they would gather in, in, in their families' homes and their family would raise a glass to Athena or Artemis or, and they couldn't. I mean, you, you think your Thanksgivings are awkward. <laughs> the, these guys suffered socially. They, they suffered in family relationships. They suffered financially. Listen, the mob was so violent that they had to sneak Paul and the team out. So, so do you think that the violence was over once Paul was gone? No, the, these people suffered physically too. They, they suffered together. And Paul is acknowledging that this beautiful church suffered 
well and they suffered together. At Gospel Community Church, we have seen together the inside of hospital rooms. At Gospel Community Church, we have seen together inside funeral homes. We have heard terrible news from doctors about testing. We have suffered miscarriages together as a church. We have lost jobs and not been able to pay bills. And we've suffered many more things together as a church in our four short years. I love this church because I have seen families in it suffer well together. I love this church because there has been a great sense that God is using the suffering that's happening in this church to bring about something beautiful. There has been a great sense in this church that, that when persecution has come against us from friends or family members about our faith, we have stood together as a church and said, you know what? We don't have to get everybody back. We don't have to settle the score. That's what Jesus does. Jesus settles the score. And so we can come together as a family and endure suffering and endure persecution together. I love this church because I've seen it rise to that occasion again and again and again. Whether we be in hospital rooms, whether we be in funeral homes, whether we be waiting on a report from a doctor about a test that we had to go and take, whether someone is coming out of surgery, whether we lose children or lose jobs, this church has suffered well together. And that's why I love it. And that's why I think you should love it. And that's why I think you should give your life to Jesus by giving your life to this local church and doing this whole thing together because, because we need one another. When Satan attacks, you need help. And, and that's what the church is for. You're, you're not made to do it alone. We're, we're here for each other. We need to be here for each other because Satan will attack. He and, and his minions will, uh, not, not the small, cute yellow ones. Um, these are way worse. Satan and, and his minions will come and attack. Suffering is ahead of us, church. Jesus couldn't be more clear about this. The Apostle Paul couldn't be more clear about this. Suffering is ahead of us. Um, but, but that's why he gave us the church. That's why he gave us the church. So I want us to stay and stick together and suffer well together. Verse 17 through 20. But since... We were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. In person, not in heart. Man, I want to read that again. Listen to it again. But since we were torn away from you, that, that's, that, that word in the Greek, torn, okay, it, it gives the idea of being orphaned. That's, that, that's what it means. I would try to pronounce it in the Greek, but y'all would just laugh at me, Okay. It, 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 means, it means to be orphaned. Paul is saying that him, him leaving that church um, was like a father or a mother leaving their children. That, that's, that's how 
much it grieved him that, that he had to be taken out of that town in the middle of the night because of the mob. But, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, listen, in person, not in heart. I, w- I was torn away from you, church. I-, I love you so much. I was torn away from you. It felt like I was losing a child. But listen, they, they tore me away from you. But listen, my heart is still with you. Incredible. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Not to, he, he does, we desired all the more to tweet you. We desired all the more to send you a text. We desired all the more to copy you in on an email. No, he says we desired all the more to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered me. Paul is desperately trying to get back to them. He tried again and again. So, so he is multiple, multiple times trying to figure out how to get back to Thessalonica, but, but Satan um, had, had stopped him and, and, and halted him. Uh, I, I read the commentators kind of spin out of control, kind of trying to figure out maybe what, uh, what was the hindering, but the truth is we don't know how Satan hindered him. Um, it doesn't say in the text, but, but we know that he was hindered, but we know the work wasn't stopped because Timothy got there. So, for what is our hope? I'm in verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul, Paul just said to them, when the trumpet sounds and, and the sky is opened up, and the Lord Jesus comes back. And when he makes all things new, when the, when the Lord Jesus takes all broken things and mends them together, when the Lord Jesus sets all wrongs right, on that great and final day, when I stand before my master, I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to be filled with great, deep abiding joy as I look out across the Thessalonican church. And in his mind there, you know Paul's thinking, I'm, I'm gonna think on that day when Jesus shows up, I'm gonna think about the patents. I'm gonna think about the reeds. I'm gonna think about the birds. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna think about not just the, the church as, an, as, as some type of big corporate institution. I'm gonna think about the people in the church and, and they will be um, uh, essentially little, uh, little tiny figures on a crown that I wear on my head. It's, I'm gonna be filled with joy before Jesus because of you. Friends, we have the opportunity here to say that to stand before the Lord Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I am so excited about this family who is in my community group. I got to lay my hands on them and pray for them and they're, they're here with us now and they're gonna be here with us forever and I am filled with joy, Jesus, because I'm here with this family. Don't you wanna say that? I know I do. I know I do. Number four, a church you can love and give your life to loves 
each other. They, they loved each other. This, this church, Paul loved them so deeply. They loved Paul and they loved one another. Just, just listen to this. The more intensely you are bound up with Jesus, the more intensely you will be bound up with his people. The more passionate you become about Jesus, the more passionate you will become about his people. The more you love on Jesus, the more you will love his children. The more you care about Jesus, the more you will care about the things that he cared about, his church. So a church you can love and give your life to loves each other. John 13, one says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, listen to this, he loved them to the end. If you're familiar with this section in the Gospel of John, Jesus has this great love for his people. He, he goes into that Passover supper. That's the Passover supper where Jesus removes his outer garments and gets down on his hands and his knees to wash the dirty, stinky feet of the disciples. That's, that's what happens right before he gets up and walks out of that place and is shortly thereafter arrested is shortly thereafter taken through uh, false trials, is shortly thereafter beaten, mocked, and crucified and laid in a tomb. So I say that to say the foundation for genuine affection is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that by placing faith on him alone, we can be saved. That is the foundation for affection within a church. So, so when I say a church you can love and give your life to is a church that loves each other, I'm saying that the foundation for that love that I'm talking about is the gospel. That's, that's the foundation of of that love. It is, it is in sharing the glory of the gospel with one another that we find true affection for one another. We love each other because we were both sinners saved by grace. We love each other because nobody has a leg up here. Nobody has a higher horse than anybody else. We are all sinners. We all need God's grace. And so when we come to that realization that nobody's better than anybody else here, right? The, the, the pastor doesn't have it all together. The church leadership doesn't have it all together. Your community group doesn't have it all together. The worship team, they don't have it all together. When we come to that realization, when we come down to the very ground level of the gospel and realize that we are all sinners, we all have blown it, we, we all uh, walk in destructive tendencies and we need to be saved by Jesus yeah. and it's only him that can save us. I can't save you. When we come to that realization, it's like, Man, we're all in this together. You know, I've, I've been trying to cover this thing up for so long. I've, I've been trying to pretend to everybody else that I've got it all together, but now that I'm here, I realize I don't have to hide anymore. 
I can, I can walk out in the open and say, I don't have it together. And, and the guy next to me goes, yeah, I don't got it together either. And, and the lady next to me says, yeah, me neither. And we're like, okay, cool. And, and on that foundation, on that foundation, now we have the foundation for, for genuine affection yeah. and for real love because nobody's hiding anything. Nobody's pretending to be something they're not. I love this church because of that. I love this church because... That nobody comes in here on Sunday mornings like, like they got up at 6 a.m. And, and did devotionals and, you know, are just walking in here, faces glowing, beaming, you know. I'm here in the joy of the Lord, brothers. <laughs> I love this church because, because that's not the case. No, nobody's putting on a show here. There, there's a foundation where real Christian love and affection can be built. And that's why I love this church. So I'll say this. Give your life to Jesus by giving your life to this church. Give your life to his people and be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to have uncomfortable conversations be willing to be pressed on issues that you don't want to talk about. Be willing to give until it hurts. Be willing to serve to the point of exhaustion. And give your life to Jesus by giving your life to the church. Give your life to this church. Because apparently, I believe it's pretty awesome. So that's my, that's my call to you today. I wanted you to see this beautiful picture of this church that, that just gave themselves over to God's word, that, that loved one another, that, that suffered with one another. And, and I wanted you to, to look at that picture and go, man, by God's grace, some of that stuff is happening here. And, and I'm looking at this text going, man, that, that's worth giving it all away to. That, that, that's worth it. People's lives are being changed. I want to be a part of that. I love this church. I love being the pastor here because I get a front row seat to see people's lives change forever. Yeah. So, so that's my call today. That, that's my hope is that you will leave out of here in your heart saying, you know what? I love the church. Specifically, I love Gospel Community Church. I'm glad I'm a member there. And for those in the room who are not, you're going, man, I wanna be a member here. I, I wanna give my life to Jesus through, through this church because God is at work. Because God is at work. So give your life away to Jesus by giving your life away to the local church. Let's pray. Father, you are a miracle worker. You are a healer. Um, you have done so many miraculous things at this church that even if the door is closed tomorrow, my heart would be filled with joy over the work that you've done. But by God's grace, I know there are years and years uh, in our future to come of seeing more people's lives changed, of seeing more people give themselves over to the receiving of the word, more people suffering together and loving one another. And I, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And so fill us with excitement over your church. Fill us with hope. Fill us with joy over a life that is sacrificed. Help us to see that and go, I want that. 
I want to pour my life out. I don't want to hoard it all for myself. I don't want to build up my own kingdom. I don't want to just gather more stuff and toys and trinkets and houses and bigger cars and bigger. We don't want any of that. We want to pour our life out for you. We want to pour our life out for the church because we know that's where we will find meaning and joy and that all those other things simply will not suffice. So Lord, give us that courage. Give us the empowerment through your Holy Spirit to do that, to live such a life. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.